And one of the most painful questions that I received when I was in Turkey was, what do you do for a living? <laughs> that was very difficult for me to answer. Because for them, a missionary was a very negative thing. Uh, in fact, they had a television show while I was there. It was a hit television show capturing over 70% of the population when that show was on. People were glued to their television sets. The theme of the show was that there were Jews who were working together with Christian missionaries to sell Turkish organs on the black market. So you can imagine that the idea of a missionary was very negative in their sight. So the last thing I wanted to say was, I'm a missionary. Mission is tied in with government, means spy, just like an army would have a mission. Well, that would be how they would view that. And so uh, as uh, time elapsed in my work in Turkey, I began to try to figure out who am I, really? I was a... Uh, for a while, I was telling people, well, I'm going to bring young people and coach them in leadership skills because I wanted student missionaries to come, and I had this whole vision of a, a leadership a school. just didn't make sense to Turkish people at all. And I started working with a, a woman, Melik uh, Jones, to help in her tourism business. But, you know, I, I was meeting with the son of the mayor of our city. He had gone to Princeton University for business degree. And he began asking me about my tourism business. How many tours do you do? What's your marketing strategy? What's your forecast for tourism in the industry? And how is this? And as he began asking me these deep questions, and I knew I only do three tours a year, he winked at me as if to say, I know your whole thing is a facade. Very painful for me. And so ultimately, I just began telling people I'm a writer. Because I was. I had published a book. I wrote monthly articles in a magazine. But you know, to have an authentic career is important. Because the first thing when you meet somebody that really helps to just kind of categorize, what do you do for a living? What's your expertise? And from there, you can bridge into conversation. But if you are very nebulous about that, you begin wondering, does this person work for the CIA? <laughs> right? And uh, I mean, if you had some Chinese student who was brilliant, came here to school, and you asked, well, what are your goals? What do you want to do here? You'd wonder, is the Chinese government maybe sent this guy, you know? And uh, so this is why tent making is really important. Now, we've chosen this idea with, with Adventist Frontier Missions. It's not a new idea. Paul started this whole thing. But we chose this name three years ago. I was laying in bed and it just came to me and I immediately woke up and I went to GoDaddy and I bought the domain name GoTential because it's so perfect. Go, the Great Commission, go ye into all the world, tent, and of course the potential, the exponential potential of the laity. So if you're pastoring a church, you're sent out to a small church district of three churches, each church is... 35, 45, 50 people in them. You know, really, what is the, the capacity of that church for growth? Well, if you think within that church, okay, I've got, you know, this many adults, and then among those adults, I've got this many who are actually active, and among those active ones, I actually have those that are kind of 
in the middle of the road, not on the left or on the right? How many can I really rely on? And it trickles down to just three or four. And so the, the idea of tent making is to equip the saints for ministry where every person in the capacity of a member in the laity can communicate the gospel in a powerful way because they feel the gospel. They sense it in their inner being. They know it. I wrote in my little description about who I am just a, a little sentence there that says, when I first got out, I pastored a church that grew from 35 to 120. I feel great about that, but you know what? I had just a small part to do with that. That church knew and understood the gospel. And those people knew they were saved. They understood the gospel. And I mean, I've never been at a church where at potluck, they are talking about the cross of Christ. It was just fantastic. And when guests would come, there was such a vibrancy that those guests would just stick. And, uh, of course, I was preaching my heart out, visiting people, but it was really the membership. And what did they do? They sold insurance. One of them worked for the IRS as an uh, auditor. One of them was a PT, a physical therapist. Another one was, you know, they just... They were a lineup of, of the smattering of society. What do people do? They work. And so the big question is, where is the church when they're not at the church building? Because if the church just disappears when they're not at church, then you really don't have a living entity. You have a meeting hall that just happens to fill up and empty and fill up and empty. And so what I want to share with you this morning is how... You, and I don't know the smattering of professions here, but if you are in a religious or pastoral uh, training, you need to begin to think of yourself at the bottom of the heap and that the professions that are around you, that are meeting in the mathematics building, the science building, the IT specialists, these are your evangelists. These are the people who are going to be carrying forward the work. You know, as we engage in everyday interactions with people, we carry uh, life in us and speak life, have the power to give life out. I was going to a gas station up in uh, Nebraska and I couldn't get the pump to work and I went and I asked the woman there, I said, I can't get this thing to work. And she comes out, starts swearing up a storm, and she's just tattooed on all sides, and, and this looks like she's been through a lot of trouble in her life. Well, finally we get the pump working, and her and I walk back together to the gas station for me to pay, and I opened the door for her, and I said, ladies first. And she stopped. And she said, wow, in kind of this rough smoker voice, wow, at least somebody sees that I'm a lady. And I, you know, the Holy Spirit just came on me and I said, you're more than a lady. You're a princess in Jesus' eyes. And she just stopped. She looked at me and she just started to tear up. And uh, she said, you know, I just was through a divorce three weeks ago. I really needed to hear that. And... Uh, we started to dialogue, and I usually carry around a little brochure. I'll tell you, you know, there's a lot of these glow tracks, but there's one that is just 
above heads and shoulders above the rest. It's called a love letter from Jesus. Mm. And when you give this love letter to Jesus, people respond. It's just like a message from heaven. And uh, there are people all around us if we're alert and we're wise. And there's no reason that a person has to have a theology degree to minister to hurting people. Amen. And this is what tent making is all about. Well, Gotential is a lay movement of cross-cultural, one-to-one marketplace evangelists. It's a different path to global missions. Now, obviously, a person can be a tent maker of sorts here in the United States. We just call those an active member. But for Adventist <laughs> Frontier Missions purposes, we're focused on sending those active members to places where there are no Adventists. Now, it's hard to imagine, but in the world there are 35 cities of a million or more that have no Seventh-day Adventist presence. Now in Turkey, where I was at, we had over 30,000 villages of a thousand or more that had no Christian presence at all. So there are just places where just even moving there, you would change the statistical map. This is a city that my wife and I moved to called Antalya. Beautiful city in the south of Turkey. And that city was on this list of, of the most unreached cities in the world. We moved there, wiped that city off the map. By God's grace, within four months, he had put together a core group of believers meeting in our house that we had to leave behind. I baptized a woman, and at the same time I baptized her, I said, listen to me, Ekaterina, you are now the head elder of this group. I'm leaving. You've got to carry this group on. And by God's grace, she has. And now there's a Brazilian couple who's come in and joined that group. It's the only time that I've ever had this apostolic feeling of baptizing and saying, now it's up to you if this work is going to carry on. I wanted to show you a picture of my family. This is my wife, Anya. She's from Poland, just a great support. And our boys who uh, journeyed completely through Turkey with us over our 10 years. What was our life like there? You know, we just got in and we showed a lot of love to a lot of people. Uh, this is my wife eating with our neighbors. And you can see we just were active with people there and our family, what they look like today. All right. I talked a little bit last night about Adventist Frontier Missions. I think probably most of you get the journal and are aware that primarily we're interested in sending church planting missionaries. They work long term, they learn the language, and we take people of all different types. Our, one of our most successful missionaries, Dale Goodson, is a carpenter. Another one, Tim Holbrook, who's from around here, he was an auto mechanic. These guys really know how to endure tough times. They stick with the job and they have to think critically because we're trying to understand worldview at a very deep level so that we don't end up with a synchronized belief system where they're, they're half shaman or half witch doctor and half Adventist, which unfortunately happens around the world. Okay, there was a key word there at the very end. Did you hear the word intentional? That makes all the difference between tourism and witness. It makes the difference between just being an international expat and a tent maker. 
Because if somebody is intentional, they can turn any situation, any lunch appointment, any business meeting and friendship into something spiritual. Now, not every person you meet is right, of course. There are people who the Lord has uh, got a long ways of Holy Spirit work before they're going to even listen to what you have. But somebody that's intentional is watching for those opportunities. And that's what we're trying to do, is find people who are placed in places like Morocco and Tunisia. We've got people working for companies like Chevron and Exxon, people working for Microsoft. Microsoft. And in these uh, global companies, they overcome one big hurdle that AFM has had, language learning. Because in these big companies, they speak English. So when I arrive in Turkey, I don't know a word of Turkish, and I'm trying to reach Turkish people, and I'm mixing up words like uh, salatalik and satalik. Sounds very similar. Well, I went to buy a house, and the guy's looking at me, you want a cucumber? You know, this is, uh, this is the problem with language, and you're trying to convey deep spiritual thoughts, and you can't even say, you know, is this lemon ripe? You know, it's just a... Uh, very difficult. So with tent makers, in one way we can avoid that because they work at a, a higher level, which also begins the church at a higher status level in society. Rather than working for the low, work for the high. So as a missionary in Turkey, I feel I did a very effective work, but I often ponder because a lot of the people that I reached were unemployed. Why? I didn't have a job, so when I go out trying to meet people, who am I meeting? Unemployed people, right? Take a look at this map. This is the progress of the gospel by people group, and uh, the red section there is what we call unreached people or the least reached people in the world. That's what some statisticians call the 1040 window, stretching across northern Africa, Saudi Arabia, of course, Iraq, Iran, India, and up into Mongolia. Parts of China, praise God, are in the green. They've got, we've got over 450,000 Adventists in China, and Christianity at large is really booming there. Now, hold that picture in your mind, and look at this next map. This is a map of the ratio of missionaries to the native population. So you see the red was where we need missionaries, and this map shows where they are getting the missionaries. So the big round circle, that's 100 or more missionaries, and they're going to places throughout Latin America, Central America, Africa, up into, you notice along the Caribbean, the Mediterranean, Riviera, there's a lot of missionaries there. That's a good place to be, right? And in the islands. But where we really need the missionaries are not receiving the action, which means the unreached are going to remain unreached for a long time. This is where the tent maker comes in because throughout the Middle East, there are job opportunities for people like graphic designers and people who have expertise in chemical engineering and electrical engineering. Now this map shows uh, sort of the ancient roads of the Middle East. And how did Christianity spread in the time of the apostles? Paul centered himself in Ephesus for a reason. 
it was a center of commerce. And so the people would come in, their ship, shipping lanes and in their travel and the spice routes, basically the gospel spread along the routes of travel because the gospel was shared by merchants and people would embrace the good news and then they would carry it to distant places. Well, another advantage that the tent maker has over the missionary is visas. So what do we see in this picture here? Yeah, you know, the pastor, he's getting denied. Whereas this Arab man at the gate of Allahabad is saying, come on in, you have the needed skills. We, you can fix our cell towers, or you can help us to set up cranes for our new buildings, or whatever those skills are. And that Adventist, we got to think of that guy carrying that, that saw, doesn't just have a saw. He's got the Holy Spirit in his heart. Amen. That's what makes the difference between a worker and a tent maker. Somebody who's got a burning passion. Their heart's on fire. They've been educated here at Southern in some school uh, other, than, other than the school of theology. And now they go out with a missionary heart. Now they may have, you, some of you who have theology degrees, you may, you may capture this, this picture. I just got a phone call from a guy last week who said, I am training in a secular university. He said, I wanted to go and study to be a pastor, but I realized I would be much more useful for Jesus if I had an IT degree and went out into the Middle East. And so he decided just to lift out with the focus of missions, change his career. Now, speaking of that, take a look at this picture. These are what we call Waldensian students. Now, this picture was taken a few years ago, and I got a chance to, the Middle East Union invited me to go to a training event for their Waldensian students. These are young people who have chosen to go and get their degree in places where there are no or few Adventists. So they have gone and enrolled in school in Istanbul, and enrolled in school in northern Cyprus, and enrolled in school in, in places like Yemen, and these somewhat dangerous places, getting their degree with one purpose. They're going to be there for four or five years. And if they're going to be there that long, they believe that their interaction, their natural interaction with other people is somehow going to have an effect for Christ. Yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. These were really on fire, fire kids. Now there's somebody that's missing in this picture. And you wouldn't be able to identify it without me telling you. But you know who's not in this picture? Any North American. Every one of these Waldensian students has come from South or Central America or Korea. And they said, we didn't try to do this. It's just we didn't get any volunteers from North America. Now, one thing you see on my sheet there is I've written a book called Grow a World Changer. Why? Because we've got to have parents that are putting the seeds in the children here in North America. The mission is important. Why are there no North American Waldensian students? Because somehow there's no agitation among the parents that this is a worthy, noble cause. Hmm. Why did I write that book? 
I was commissioned to write that book for three years. And between 2001 and 2004, Adventist Frontier Missions had no volunteers. None. And they said, we can clearly identify that our schools are failing us, and we are not having the development of a farming system. You see, when a, a baseball team wants a, a good team, they start way back in the elementary and high schools to be able to find the players to farm them for professional baseball. Well, what we're talking about here is professional missions. Is not what we have as a church and educational system supposed to be farming missionaries? Yes. That's the purpose. And if we're not getting missionaries, there's something wrong with the education that's happening in our schools. Yeah, we're educating brilliant people, people who can impact society and gather in the wealth and pay for church implementation, but people who can speak the gospel. People that the gospel matters enough that they will strip their life of the delicacies that they want to be able to move to a place that needs Jesus. Yeah. Ellen White says, He who begins with a little knowledge in a humble way and tells what he knows while seeking diligently for further knowledge will find the whole heavenly treasure awaiting his demand. The more he seeks to impart light, the more light he will receive. The more one tries to explain the word of God to others with a love for souls, the plainer it becomes to himself. Hallelujah. Amen. And so, in many ways, the tent maker is self-training because the Holy Spirit is right there alongside them. And as they speak a word of truth to somebody, the Holy Spirit helps to broaden that, broaden those strategies. Because really... Who's the expert to be able to teach anybody how to reach a man in Oman? It's not been done. So somebody's got to go there and figure that out. And the Holy Spirit knows it. Well, of course, tent making is an old idea. Paul was the first tent maker, right? There he would have been in his shop stitching tents. The man had brought his tent in, and boy, he didn't know he was, was going to get such a sermon that day. <laughs> Can you imagine sitting in Paul's shop, and Paul is like, Why were we yet sinners? Christ died for the ungodly. Stitching, stitching, for there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh man, I would love to have sat in his shop. And so we get kind of a combination picture in Thessalonians. Paul worked for a living, didn't want to be a burden on people. And on the flip side, it says in other places that, that they did support Paul. So there was sort of a, a mix. He supported himself, but he also got some funding for his missionary needs. Paul's example as a tent maker, first of all, he was on fire for Jesus. He was sent by a church and... And then he reports back to that church. That's very important. If you have somebody in your church and they, they were to get a job working for Google in Morocco, would your church bring them to the front and pray over them? Would your church see them as a missionary or just a person who's leaving the church? Person who's now needing to move their membership. You see, they're strategic. They are the cutting edge of what Seventh-day Adventism is all about. And we have to begin to think about these para in new paradigms. This, 
Paul was sent by the church to be a tent maker? Come on, you're not going to pray over a, a guy who's going to go make tents in Ephesus. We've got business here in Jerusalem. Can you hear the, the elders? Maybe, I don't know. He integrates life and his ministry, and he shares what he believes, and he makes disciples. We talked about that last night, that the, the real impetus for what all this is about is reproducing, reproducing believers. Because if we only are working towards converts, then that convert will grow old and die, and then we've got to start all over. And so we're really aiming towards discipling a person who can, in turn, teach others the wheel of discipleship. How to pray. How to pray for others. How to build a man up. How to encourage others. How to lead somebody to Christ. And these pastoral works. Paul starts house churches and groups. And this is, of course, the strategy in most of these places because financing doesn't allow us to buy buildings. Legality doesn't allow us to buy buildings. Secrecy is important. And so house churches are sort of the norm. We had a girl that came to Turkey while we were there. She was on a tour with Andrews University. She was from China. And she told me about her mother in China who had started 80 house churches. I said, tell me about these house churches. And she said, we have between 50 to 100 people that meet on Sabbaths. They kneel down on the ground like this, and they sit just all next to each other to listen to the gospel. That's a house church. I praise God when we started our church in Turkey, we you know, had to keep the windows closed because we couldn't let people hear the singing. We were, we were concerned about this. But our house church started to grow, and we got up to 27 people, and we decided we got to do something different. This is just too big for our house. House churches are a lot of work because everybody eats, they make messes, they break things. Some people are not very considerate about space, but you know, house churches are real. They're somehow just so authentic and raw to be able to be close to one another and share your heart and share from the Bible. This is what we're training our tent makers how to do. Well, that's not a new idea either. Listen to this. This is from Ellen White. And she says this. It is time that church members understood that everywhere there is a work to be done in the Lord's vineyard. No one is to wait for a regular process before they make any efforts. They should take up the work right where they are. There should be many at work in what are called irregular lines. So the regular lines means you get a call from the conference. Regular lines would mean you're getting a salary from somebody. A regular line would mean that the GC has approved all this. This is what Ellen White says. Many should pick up irregular lines. There, if 100 laborers would step out of the regular lines and take up self-sacrificing work, such as Brother Shearman has done, souls would be one to the Lord, and the workers would understand by experience what it means to be laborers to God. Well, the big question for me is, who is Brother Shearman, right? <laughs> What's he doing? Look at this. She goes on. Actually, this is in a different place. She says this. I believe there's one here in this congregation, Shearman by name, who has established church after church, how did he establish them? He went into a field where there was nothing. He was a carpenter. 
He would build his house and then call in the people and hold Bible readings. There he would work till a good, strong church was established. Then did he stand and say, look at the good work I have done. No, he would go to another place and repeat the same thing. This he did over and over again. Hmm. Right, Brother Carlos? Over and over again. That's a faithful man. Amen. Praise God. The starting point of God's mission. Well, I love this scripture. You know where this scripture is given. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Who's Jesus speaking to? On the Mount of Ascension. And he speaks this gospel must go into Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Now watch very closely those yellow letters there because you're going to use this in a sermon talk sometime if you're a preacher. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Well, what does that say? Take a look. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church of Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So, who's now out in Judea and Samaria? The church. It's the laity that are out there. And what are they doing? Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So, Jesus had told the apostles, this gospel's going to go out, but it wasn't the apostles who carried it out. It was the laity. Because they were the ones who were scattered, and where they went, they were preaching. Amen. And it changed the world. It literally changed the world. You just think about the dynamics. If you get into a church of 35 or 50, and you're not the only preacher. You have 35 preachers. It's just the ratios suddenly change. And that's what we got to strive for. Take a look at this. this is what Martin Luther says about this. He says, It is pure invention that Pope, bishops, priests, and monks are called the spiritual estate, while princes, lords, artisans, and farmers are called the temporal estate. This is indeed a piece of deceit and hypocrisy. Yet no one need be intimidated by it, and that for this reason. All Christians are truly of the spiritual estate, and there is no difference among them except that of office. We are all consecrated priests by baptism. Amen. I would show you a movie, but I think our time is gone. So we'll hold that really want to see it. There's another concept called business as mission. It's very, very powerful, and you could research that on your own. I'm going to close here just with this last quote of Ellen White. Then we'd like to get some questions. Listen to this. She says, the skill with which the carpenter uses his tools, the strength with which the blacksmith makes the anvil ring come from God. Whatever we do, wherever we are placed, he desires to control our minds that we do perfect work. The essential lesson of contented industry and the necessary duties of life is yet to be learned by many of Christ's followers. It requires more grace, more stern discipline of character to work for God in the capacity of mechanic, merchant, lawyer, or farmer, carrying the precept of Christianity into the ordinary business of life and the labor as an acknowledged missionary in the open field. It requires a stronger spiritual nerve to bring religion into the workshop and the business office, sanctifying the details of everyday life 
and ordering every transaction according to the standard of God's word. But this is what the Lord requires. Amen. Well, this is what God has asked of us. Would we go get connected to the vine and bear much fruit? For those of you who pastor churches, we have the nerve and courage to challenge your church to do the same. And some of the best that you've got to send them to places where they're in that red zone, where we have no believers, that's what the church must take again as our own, a calling to global mission by using the laity for all that God has designed. Amen. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we could take a, a different look to think outside of the box. Lord, we would reverence the day when every major could value what its spiritual impact could be upon people and that there would be components of training for every major in gospel communication. Jesus, we, we offer ourselves to you right now there be new directions that you'd want to use us, new ways that we should go about our career, our service. Communicate that to us over the coming days. Pray. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.